The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. First of all, I want to just say a thank you to all the doctors, nurses, healthcare workers out there. It's obviously a trying time, a difficult time, so many countless hours that have been spent. Uh, we appreciate you and all your heart, your energy, and the family supporting you at home. Uh, I don't know how everybody's doing in this shelter-in-place thing. Um, anybody that, I know this sounds weird to say this from uh, coming from me, but anybody who's an Enneagram 7, uh, if you're into that thing, knows this is difficult. To stay at home, to not be planning any parties, any trips, any gatherings is, is pretty difficult. And I, I must confess right off the bat that I have had to apologize to my family at least twice a day for raising my voice. I'm um, just getting a little stir crazy. I no, don't know about you, my, my wife, she's the opposite. She loves this social distancing thing. Nobody can hug her, just stay away, and it's wonderful. She's a wonderful human being and loves all people, but uh, she doesn't mind this social distancing thing at all. On that note, in reference to being stuck in our houses, not being able to carry out our our usual activities, I recently heard uh, somebody say uh, about this being a red light. And the fact that this social distancing thing, this shelter-in-place thing is is like a red light for our lives, red light for our families. And I heard this person say, but after a red light, there's always a green light. And as I was thinking about that, I I, I guess the the Holy Spirit must have said something to me in that moment where it was just saying, well, how about we, we rethink this? Maybe there needs to be a yellow light after the red light. Maybe there needs to be some caution to think about, you know what, I need to reassess what has been most important. What has been most important in my life during this time? And what you're gonna find most likely is spending time with your family has been more important. Going on bike rides with your kids, not worrying about work so much. And so for us, maybe we need to assess these things and maybe reverse this order and Take time to think about not keeping a crazy schedule or maybe the priority not, not being anymore, being seen with the right people or having our kids at eight different practices for two different sports in one week. Maybe we can just chill out a little bit. My wife actually sent me a quote this morning. She knew what I was about to talk about, sent this perfect quote. It says, in the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to? Which parts of normal should we be rushing back to? Are there things where we can just leave behind and let this time be a time where we meditate on what it means to be a neighbor, what it looks like to be a neighbor? And there's over 40 parables given in scripture that Jesus recorded in the Gospels. In parables, they were used to communicate important truths, to speak words of encouragement, to also even give messages to Jesus' followers that were, were coded almost in secret messages. For the past two weeks, we've been focusing on the final week. Dave and Chase have given us powerful insights into how Jesus was presented as the servant king and how we can live for Christ and we can show clear action that we know Jesus. And in this final week, Jesus continued to speak in parables. 
These parables include the two sons, the tenants, the wedding banquet, ten virgins, bags of gold, the sheep and goats, all these different parables that are included in this final week. But dropped right in the middle of these parables is an encounter that Jesus has with the religious leaders found in Matthew 22. This is where we'll be for most of our time together this morning, Matthew 22. So Jesus encounters first the Sadducees, and they were a religious people group of religious leaders who they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they had some questions for Jesus, and they thought, you know what, I'm gonna catch Jesus here in, in a little bit of confusion. They thought they knew better than Jesus. So if you have looked at verse 23 to 33, this is the whole story. We're not gonna read the whole thing this morning, but they attempt to trap Jesus with an exaggerated question. And it's uh, concerning the resurrection. But ironically, their attempt to trap Jesus in his words causes them to be silenced. They try to trap him. They try to uh, get him caught up in something. And the reality is they end up silenced. In addition to Jesus uh, silencing the Sadducees, you also see that the crowds were amazed at his wisdom at the end of that passage. You ever get into a situation where you look at somebody that just failed at something and you think to yourself, I could do better. There's no way I'd fail at that. I don't know about you, but before this pandemic, maybe some of you thought about your teachers of, that teach your kids at, at school. Maybe you thought, oh, they don't know what they're doing. This teacher, they really don't know. I need to maybe take over. If I took over, I could do this better. And most of you, just like me, have realized we are so thankful to you teachers out there because we try our best to do what we can. Now, the homeschool parents, we appreciate you. Don't worry. We acknowledge you. You're amazing. But for me, that's difficult. And for me, thinking I could do something better, I just utterly fail compared to the great teachers that my kids have. In this same way, in in Matthew 22, you go to verse 34, you actually see Jesus uh, speaking to these Pharisees, and these Pharisees, they think they can do better. Matthew, uh, or Mark 12 actually shows that they heard the Sadducees' conversation with Jesus, yet they all gather together thinking, we'll trip them up. These Sadducees, they don't know much, so we'll trip them up, we'll get them, we'll take care of this. And so in verse 34, you see them trying to trip Jesus up. Let's look there, Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus gives his answer. It's an interesting thing that takes place, what Jesus says here. You know, these Pharisees, they're they're verbally arguing with one another. Who's going to ask them the question? I can imagine them just saying, I want to ask the question. I want to ask the question. And here they are. They come up with their all-star. All right, you go. You go. You go ask him, right? You ask him this question. And so they come up to him and ask him the question. The all-star steps up, and he asks this from what he thinks, a profound question that's definitely going to trip him up, right? 
says, what is the greatest commandment? Because they know that he has to say, right, that they're all equal. They can't have one great one, right? But of course, Jesus knows better. He understands. And we see that his answer is actually taken from uh, the Shema or Shema, depending on how you pronounce it. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 6 is where Jesus gets this answer. And he gives this answer to these religious leaders because he knows He knows that they understand this principle. You see, this Shema is something that they would, they were commanded to talk about in the morning when they woke up. They were commanded to share about it throughout the day. And they were also told to teach it to their kids and talk about it before they went to bed. This scripture from Deuteronomy was something that would be on their minds and hearts more than any other scripture most likely that they learned. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6, we see it. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So Jesus gives this amazing answer. And what's left for the Pharisees to do? But to be silent. No response, nothing. Once again, he silences those who thought they were wiser than him. So Jesus moves on in verse 41 to establish his role as the Messiah, to establish himself as the king in front of these religious leaders. He shows that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. And in verse 41 says, while they were still gathered, so the Pharisees are still there, while they're still gathered, Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. So he returns this question. He returns this question to them and he says, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? So he kind of is like, well, you know what, you asked me a question? Let me ask you a question. Let's see how you answer this. And it says they quickly answered. The son of David, it was like an immediate response. They knew the answer to this question. But Jesus totally confounds them by quoting David in Psalm 110 verse one, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and so I put your enemies under your feet. And he follows it up by saying, if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Wow, the wisdom of Jesus, confounding those who think they are wise. You can see that all over scripture, and we see it here today. So once again, he silences these religious leaders. Verse 46, if you look there, it's a powerful verse. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. What a powerful statement. You think about that at home. Think about the fact that even parents watching, imagine if you had this ability for your kids to be able to say something and they never said anything back to you. They never answered back. Yes, Father, you are right. Unfortunately, we don't have that influence or that power, but Jesus did. Jesus silenced even the ones who thought they were the most wise with his question. Recognizing, helping them recognize that he is the Lord. This week I read a sermon on this topic by Jeff Chapman. He's a pastor at Faith Presbyterian Church. It really stuck out to me in relation to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, when human beings love, when we do what God made us to do, we discover the great joy of life. 
This caused me to think about some of my true joys in life. What are my true joys in life? And maybe even you at home, you can think about, what are your true joys? Some of you waking up this morning, it was coffee. (laughs) Some of you, maybe it was playing with your kids. Some of you, maybe it was getting in the word, a true joy of yours. Made me think about, uh, you know, that the fact that I'm a husband first, you know, my, my beautiful wife and I, we've been married almost 22 years, and so we've had some great joys, some amazing joys in our life, and, and even thinking about her individually, if you follow her on social media, you can understand there's great joy found sometimes in reading what she writes because she gets herself into some crazy, embarrassing situations. We don't have time to go over those, plus I'd be in a lot of trouble if I did, so I'll leave that alone. But I also have four children. I have four children at home, and those kids are some of the greatest joys in my life. The fact that I get to be a dad, I get to be a father, and even in this time, spending more time with them, even though I'm yelling at them, I'm also just having a ball playing with them and enjoying their presence and learning more about them. So when I think about joy and I think about what this looks like and how we're defined oftentimes by the joys we have, one of the most vivid memories I have of joy in my kids is represented by a cozy coop. You guys know what I'm talking about, a cozy coop? Most of us have had these in our lives uh, throughout our life. I think we even have a picture of that cozy coop possibly. There it is, the cozy coop. This one is a a little car where you hop in and kind of like Fred Flintstone, you get your feet going and you try to go. And I kind of always hated it because my shins would bang the bottom of it and it would be really annoying to me. So I pictured that when when, uh, our kids got one and I thought, this is pretty lame, this toy. It doesn't go very fast. It needs some excitement. So I decided I'm gonna get a rope and attach it to the upper uh, framing of the car and I'm gonna get a rope and I'm gonna extend it uh, about the same distance as social distance, maybe a little more, uh, six feet or so. And I got this rope and I got it tied to the car and I'm gonna just start spinning my kids when they hop in it. And I'm spinning them. And I'm spinning around, spinning around. And then what's cool is we live in a cul-de-sac and so there's not a lot of traffic. And I thought, what if I not only spun them, but actually launched them in this car out into the cul-de-sac to see where they end up. Now, you might say, Tim, you should be arrested, but this is just what we do for fun at home, and maybe some of you even see it on, on social media, but I launched them out. Unfortunately, they don't hurt themselves, and Candace doesn't kill me, but they just have a ball, and I think words don't express it enough. I think you need to see, it's important for you at home to see a video of it. So check this out. (laughs) So there you have it. That was Noah spinning around in the cozy coop. Now, if you could see, it wasn't up close, the camera, if you could see the joy on his face combined with fear. It was just this funny, and that's why the memory for me is vivid, is that there's this ultimate joy, the expression in his face, but he also has an element of fear where he's like, oh, I'm really excited, but I'm scared to death I might die. And in this moment, he's just expressing this utter pure joy, and that's kind of how I picture the joy, and I know it's a weird way to express it, but the idea that 
This joy we have in the Lord, this joy that comes from the love we have from Christ, allows us to be launched out into the world, to love our neighbors, to love them as ourself. To the point that we are fearful. We don't, we don't pretend that we're not scared. We in this time of a, a pandemic, we don't pretend we're not scared, pretend that we're not worried about things, but we understand that Christ has conquered everything and that his love launches us out in joy to love others, to love our neighbors like we should. And I do want to give a note that no kids were hurt in making that video at least not in that video. So I just wanted to note that. Just like my kids, though, trusting their father in this crazy ride, we are called to love the father and love others in dramatic ways. Just like that crazy ride, it brings brings with it a unique combination of joy and fear. We're on this ride, this walk of faith, and sometimes, man, it's scary. Sometimes we're filled with fear. But we also know that joy comes as we're obedient. It's amazing to watch some of the obedience that's happened lately. You know, actually I plan to do this event called Love Our Community. And I plan to do this and I plan to launch our church out next month. It's been on my heart for about two years. And it was gonna be called Love Our Community. It was an event that we already had a spreadsheet made. We already contacted a lot of uh, nonprofits and we were about to contact schools about how in April for a weekend we could launch our people, our community groups, our families into the ability to love others in practical ways. And it's interesting that God kind of had a sense of humor and he's like, no, you're doing it a month early. Here it is, love our community, now's your chance. This is your opportunity. And so love our community is actually going on now. And we're launched to love our neighbors in this time. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I just wanted to give you some examples of what's happening right now of loving our neighbors, loving our community. There's so many out there. One uh, is a story I heard about a man in our, our congregation, a man here at TBC who had 100 masks in his garage. I don't know how you end up with 100 masks. I don't know, maybe he ordered them or he, he's just a prepper where he just is ready, but he had 100 masks and he's not that young. And so in his mind, he's like, you know, maybe I should keep them just in case things get really crazy. Maybe I keep them. I got my family, maybe my grandkids. But instead, you know what he did? He gave them all away. He gave every one of them away. He didn't even keep one for himself. Another example is just simple. I think we have a picture of this where people are writing chalk drawings and making chalk drawings and encouraging one another in their neighborhoods. This is my neighbor in the cul-de-sac. Actually, it's her bush that Noah ended up running into uh, with the cozy coop. And so we appreciate those messages of encouragement, just simple acts of loving your neighbor. Uh, Others of you in this congregation at TBC and others in the community that have gone out with helping hands and delivered groceries to people's doorsteps because they can't come and get groceries on their own now. So many things. People picking up medicine for the elderly 
gift baskets for kids that are stuck at home. And I've heard of families doing this and small groups doing this where they're just delivering baskets of like sidewalk chalk and bubbles and things like that just to love their neighbors well. Craft ideas on Facebook. Uh, We were made aware by uh, a friend of ours here at the church, Natalie Briggs, about the assisted living homes and how uh, residents there are being forced to eat in their rooms. And they used to have a social event during their mealtimes where they could be together in the cafeteria. And now they're not able to. And so we were able to provide, and you were able to provide TV trays so that they could have these Uh, meals not sitting on their laps. And to piggyback on that, loving your neighbor example, I heard from a flower business, a flower company here in Temple, and they heard about the TV trays and what we were doing. They said, we would like to do our part. And they included uh, vases with, with roses so that the assisted living homes could drop these in their room so while they're eating their meal, they could have fresh flowers. Everybody, loving their neighbors, wow, it's just a powerful thing. Thank you baskets for grocery stores. Many of you help provide that and deliver those to HEB and Walmart and Target to give to people in their break room because they keep getting yelled at because they don't have certain items on the shelves. We're able to provide for those and encourage them. People sewing masks. Uh, Girls from our youth group in Overflow Junior High, Kennedy and Carrington, making thank you cards, just simple thank you cards so people can go to old school, you know, actually writing thank you cards to others. And it's just a beautiful thing to see, even toilet paper and paper towels being delivered. So many examples, and so many of these examples are happening in community. One of our core values is biblical community here at Temple Bible Church. And so many of these responses are happening because even though we can't be together physically, we're still driving each other to love our neighbors just like Jesus commanded in this scripture. It's a beautiful thing to see. If we had more time today, we would continue in Matthew 23 and take the time maybe this week to read through that because in Matthew 23, it just goes right into the next scene. And the next scene, piggybacking off of this, is Jesus expressing seven woes to the Pharisees. For practical purposes, we can just call them seven ways to not love your neighbor. You can read them, and it's basically pride, it's arrogance, it's greed, and all these things. And for us, we need to be careful that maybe we are not taking part in some of these woes hoarding things for ourselves, letting our fear take over and not being willing to share and give to others. We have the opportunity to be the example. Verse 11 and 23, chapter 23 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. That's how Jesus follows those seven woes. So we've been challenged in a great way to consider this. How about you? Are you casting your self-preservation fears on the throne of God? Are you acting in joyful, sacrificial love? Is this something that you're actively pursuing? I know your children, they may be experiencing some level of trauma here. And who better to get advice than a cultural icon, Mr. Rogers? 
He says, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You always find people who are helping. One great way to ease these effects of what's we're going through, what we're going through right now is to take the advice of Mrs. Rogers and Jesus and to love your neighbor well. Let your kids see you being generous when you don't have much. Let your kids see you operating in a way that loves the Lord your God with all your heart. Let them catch you reading the word. Let them catch you praying. Don't hide it. Do it in front of them. Let them see you loving God. Let them see you and your passion for Jesus. To the leaders of our homes, whether it's men or women, whatever it is that your role is in the home, the leaders of the home, 1 Corinthians 16 gives a great challenge during this time. Verse 13 and 14, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men or women, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. What a powerful challenge. I'd like to wrap up our time, though, to have you consider a principle I read about uh, from a pastor in South Korea. An article I read talks about how they're responding to this pandemic and that hit them hard as a church. And what he encouraged people to do is to think about a principle that's easy to remember, which is 113, a simple principle to remember. 113. And all it is is this, on one day, reach out to one person and then pray for three people. As a family, it's so easy to do this. As a person, it's so easy to do this. As a small group even, encouraging others in a text group or Zoom meetings to be able to say, I'm gonna think about one person, maybe a widow down the street or maybe someone who might be struggling, a single mom or maybe someone we know that just lost their job and we can call that one person, see how they're doing, see how we might be able to help them and then pick three people to pray for. Simply pick three people to pray for. So that's the idea behind that principle. That's really what we want to be about as a church. But also, I, I just want us to think about those who may not know Jesus during this time. If you're out there, maybe you're not sure about this whole love thing. You're not sure about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, let alone love your neighbor. I want to encourage you to understand that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid the price for your sin. He came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He was put on the cross and he died and was buried and rose again three days later. And we are thankful for that sacrifice. We're thankful for that love. And I pray, you know, for you back home, maybe you don't know Jesus, take the time to know him. Take the time to read his word and see for yourself that he is good and that he is love. Let's pray together. Dear God, we are thankful for your love. We're thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, sandwiched in between all these parables, you decided to include this most powerful encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders. 
Lord, you did not do that on accident. We know there was a reason for that. And during this time, we know that it's to get our attention, to drive us from worry to loving you, to drive us from fear to spending time with you and your word, to push us out, even though we're stuck at home, to push us out, to reach out through technology and other means to drop things on people's doorsteps, to write notes of encouragement, to look out for the vulnerable and those who are affected deeply, financially. Help us to be a people who care and to show our love in amazing ways. We thank you for this challenge today. We pray, God, that you will continue to push us this week to love you more and to love others more. Bless us as we finish with this song. In your name we pray, amen.